diaspora's contribution to their respective uh, land of origin. Uh, often we see uh, states in the Horn of Africa inviting diaspora to uh, come back and invest. Uh, and there are uh, many who accept that kind of invitation and go back and invest. Uh, but also at the same time, there are others uh, who uh, look at uh, their uh, the government uh, with suspicion because they tend to believe that uh, their uh, investment, uh, let's, let's, let's take an example of remittance, will even be used uh, for financing uh, wars and conflicts. Uh, that's, that's why they are reluctant. Uh, even they see uh, the remittance as a tool to punish the states. Have you come across that kind of assumption from members of diaspora communities? Yeah, as I said, maybe at the beginning, the diaspora are part of their societies, you know, uh, back home. And every uh, dollar or, you know, uh, money they send it back home, they will send or they send it uh, with a purpose. Uh, as I said, they are so divided. Many of them are in line with the opposition, you know, groups. And some of them uh, do support with the armed groups as well, particularly when the Horn of African states are authoritarian and uh, believe a uh, use of power. Uh, so it's a tit for tat. Okay, if they, and then they say that if, if they don't understand, uh, but only the gun will support the rebels, that's what they say. And in that also it's not really a good method and it's not something I promote or advocate, but, they could be forced in a sense, but because if the regime is back home, are not compromising or are not willing really to uh, accept and consider the other views, others also will use the same method, you know, they, they are using. In terms of uh, the remittance and money, and money, you know, uh, send it back home, you know, people send the money in different ways, as I said, they could send it to to the armed groups, you know, they are in association with them or associated with them. Uh, they could send the money to uh, a peaceful and the non-violent political opposition groups, which really is a good in a sense, you know. Uh, I know in Ethiopia and in, in, in Sudan and in Somalia, there are several, you know, uh, political parties who are trying to uh, you know, change their societies and political, you know, approaches in a positive way. So it's, it's a good really to support, uh, you know, such a, uh, a peaceful and non-violent uh, political parties. Mm -hmm. uh, and the authoritarian regime should actually learn uh, as well. That's one thing. Uh, secondly, uh, some people actually send remittance to their tribes. You know, we are tribes, we are ethnic groups. We have to accept our realities. And that's not a really bad. You know, the tribe or ethnic group is neutral. It, it, it just depends how to use it. If you use it in a positive ways, it's a positive or negative, it's a negative. It's like a political parties everywhere. 
So what makes a difference of human behavior who work within the ethnic communities or the tribes? If their behaviors are good, then the, then the, 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 the ethnic group you know, will, will behave and act positively. So I mean, they send the money to their communities, to their tribes, to their ethnic you know, groups. It may be for a different purposes, you know, for education, for health, but as a diaspora, we are not in a control how this money, it could be used. Those back home, we send them money, but those back home may use in negative ways at some point. You can send the money, I can send the money in a good faith, you know, for education, for health, to, for development. But those back home who knows the realities, their condition, who are dealing with the, the regimes could actually use in a violent way, they could also support the army groups and send them the money in that, in that sense. So what makes a difference is the intention we have when we, when, we, when, when we are sending the money. Yes, if we have a good intention, then we can't control you know, the outcome, what's happening back home. Yeah. Thank you, Doctor. Uh, I would like to see this from the other side also. Uh, considering the current financial circumstances due to lack of foreign aid uh, and the war in Ethiopia, there are advocates on social media uh, calling yeah, yeah. the Ethiopian government to impose 2% tax on diaspora, just like what the Eritrean government has been doing. Uh, yeah. How far do you think can such proposal a remedy for what the country is into now? Yeah, that's a good question. I knew and I know, you know, the Eritrean uh, staff of the two in the percent of the every Eritrean income and that was allocated during the, 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 you know, the, the struggle that was long time ago when Eritreans were in the same boat, all of them in the same line to get, to get independence from Ethiopia. So they were so unified at that time. That kind of 2%, it is not working anymore now. It's working relatively somewhere, but almost 70%. Uh, most Eritrean diaspora, particularly those in the West, do not accept. Maybe those who are in, in the Middle East or under other dictators and other authoritarian regimes in Africa and Asia, they mm. are forced because they have no any rights or entitlement in their settlement countries. They're still using Eritrean passport. They still use Eritrean, you know, you know embassies. So. They are really forced to pay, and they are the majority in any ways. We're talking about more than 100,000 Eritreans in the Middle East. Sorry, even in Saudi Arabia, I think only in Saudi Arabia, around 100,000 Eritrean diaspora. Uh, so those Horn of African diaspora in Africa, not all in Africa, but under the authoritarian regimes in Africa and Asia, somewhere else, have no right but to pay. Not only these 2%, but also many other payments in different titles, you know, pet certificate, even death certificate, uh, even if you're buying a house back home or if you're sending some money back home, you have to pay, you know, some commission, something like that. Uh, coming back to your question that Twitter, we can't control the social media. Social media is a free. Social media is actually destroying the nation, it's in the government. <laughs> It's so free. Uh, people can express their feelings. We are 
while they can also uh, keep and hide their identity, I can, they can say whatever they like. And our, you know, African governments and Horn of African governments are lagging behind. They do not have the skills how to really to deal with this very advanced level of communication. <laughs> they, 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 they still live in the Cold War era. Yeah. Of that kind of, you know, media mentality. So mm. they are really left out. <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, Ethiopian, uh, the suggestion uh, for uh, Ethiopian diaspora to pay, you know, uh, 2%, uh, it's it, up to Eritreans, sorry, up to Ethiopian diaspora, if they accept it, you know, to build their country. And I say, say all Ethiopians are not on the same boat. What's happening back home can, you know, impact uh, uh, the, the, the Ethiopian diaspora, you know, uh, everywhere they are, what's happening in, in Tigray, what's happening in Oromo, you know, OLF, I know OLF now is a armed, you know, group fighting and uh, are in line with, uh, with the Tigray, with the, with the TPLF. Uh, I know it's going on in, you know, uh, you know, Venetian Gaul and Gumuz and all this area. Uh, well, I would like for Ethiopia to see quite a united, very strong country. It's our neighbor. Uh, the Ethiopian uh, development is a development for the whole, for the whole Horn Africa country. But we also want uh, a, a peaceful and uh, a just Ethiopia. Uh, Ethiopia that every Ethiopian is entitled really uh, to have their their rights in equal way. So anyway. I don't know to be outside of the topic. So it's up to Ethiopian uh, Eritrea. Some people may accept it and they, they may say, yes, maybe some nationalist. And some may say, no. Some may say, no, we, we, we don't want to empower the, you know, the centristic current government. They may say, no. I know that the, the many Oromia uh, you know, aspiration to have very autonomous, uh, you know, uh, region and yeah, so it's up to them. I can't intervene. Uh, yeah, but uh, I, I would love people to have their own entitlement and to talk, you know, from their minds. And that kind of dialogue itself, that kind of expression, it's a good sign. It's a really kind of healing. Let people express their feelings. Let people talk. And the, our governments, you know, back home in Africa should actually uh, uh, give, you know, the, the Horn of Africa and diaspora a platform uh, to express their, their feelings, even if they are back home in Africa. Otherwise, if you can't give them a platform, people also will think about alternative platforms, you know, outside, you know, the media, the international media, the free world. So this 2% is up to Eritrea, up to Ethiopian diaspora. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't say more than that. Yeah, but they should, at least, they should pay from their own willing. It should not be something forced on them. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, even if not this 2%, uh, which is uh, still uh, issue on uh, on social media, and uh, I cannot also take it uh, seriously. But coercing members of diaspora to send money back uh, is, I think, impossible. Yeah, coercing and... You know, the force, it's not good, either back home or in diaspora. People are born free. They should remain free. And to remain free, you need a dialogue. You need acceptance. You need a, a compromise. 
you need a uh, to respect to different views and the majority vote, uh, not really a, a gun or the power that won't really work. It, that will just only prolong the, the, our crisis and the problem, but it won't solve. But let us express our feelings and talk freely and give whatever we want in free ways and voluntarily. stay on the topic of social media this question is related to one of the questions that i raised during international peace day on uh, 21st uh, of september uh, yeah. last month for which i have not received uh, response due to time shortage uh, i have read it also uh, in your article that uh, although diaspora activists can use online and digital media to incite tensions and prolong conflicts Media platforms have a responsibility to identify and remove harmful content. Uh, this is a blessed proposal, but there are uh, yet activists uh, who continue to disseminate uh, or misinform, disinform uh, in the name of religion and politics without any consequence whatsoever. My question is, uh, why is there no legal mechanism uh, that makes them accountable? or why hosting states fail to make them accountable for such a misinformation and hate speech. Uh, what is your take on that? I mean, I, I know that uh, there is uh, Facebook uh, and others like YouTube who follows that kind of hate speech and remove some contents, but only if reported. But still I see uh, people who are blatantly uh, uh, using words that uh, dehumanize uh, groups, individuals, um, and, and how do you see that? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, we know in the West, the Western scientists are actually ruled by the media and they are controlled and shaped, you know, uh, by the media. So the media is very, very powerful. And their governments also have a very clear, you know, guidelines and, you know, uh, instruction and respect it to the media. So, I mean, the Horn of African, you know, uh, countries, are you, is your question related uh, to the, you know, the legal staff in the diaspora or the back home in the Horn of Africa? In diaspora. Uh, yeah, in the diaspora, yeah, particularly the West, we have, as I said, we have many diasporic Horn of African communities. It depends where they live, the country they live in, and the condition. Those who are living in authoritarian regimes cannot say anything in any ways. Those who are living in the Middle East or some, you know, authoritarian regimes in, in Asia or uh, uh, African countries, they yeah, cannot say right. in any ways. Yeah. They are uh, denied their human entitlement to human you know, rights. <laughs> uh, so, and therefore, uh, uh, the, the Horn of African diaspora in the West are quite different than the, the other you know, the diaspora. So come to the, the Horn of African diaspora in the West. <laughs> yes, because we live in a free society, we are like others. We are equal like other you know, diasporic communities or even the locals here in the West, in the UK, Australia, the North America, people can talk from their minds. 
they can say whatever they like. Uh, there are some rules and there are some regulations and uh, we have many kinds of many types of media as well. If we talk about the, uh, the formal media, you know, the televisions and the newspapers and, you know, well, you know, known websites, you know, you can control them. You can uh, uh, offer some advice, suggestions, but if we talk about the social media, no one can control anyway the social media. People, as they say, they can talk, that they can actually uh, hide their identity. Even they can put the picture of someone else and the name of someone else, and then they can say whatever they like. Uh, that's one thing. But if you're talking about the general media, the traditional media, the classical media, the newspapers, the websites, you, you know, we know them who run them and all this stuff, the televisions, I think that the settlement government, particularly in the West, have a high level of human respect. And what the, 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 the Horn of African diaspora uh, media oriented, the Horn of African diaspora who are media oriented doing here in the West is, 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 is just a kind of really exercising their, uh, you know, human entitlement, human rights entitlement, just talking from their minds, all this stuff. Uh, yeah, but if we're talking back home uh, in the Horn of Africa, if they, the Horn of African uh, countries actually are open to the criticism and, you know, uh, give them a space, Horn of African diaspora also, a space to express their feelings, you know, freely, either they are in the diaspora or even back home, you know, in the Horn of Africa, there won't be a such a destructive, you know, media approach. So the, the, the problem, uh, you know, originally is related to the behavior of the Horn of African government, authoritarian regimes who don't like to hear the criticism, uh, the, the, the different views, uh, who do not respect, you know, the human rights, you know, the media personnel also, they are human beings, they need to be respected. We know many uh, from the Horn of African diaspora who are now in the jails back home in the Horn of African systems, you know, uh, in everywhere. Uh, so the governments back home uh, in the Horn of Africa should actually uh, improve themselves and their perception and perspectives mm -hmm. on human rights. Mm -hmm. And and then the other side, the Horn of African uh, you know, media people should also, as I said, equally respect the rights of others, their behaviors, their actions, their words, should be a tool for nation building, for peace building, and at the same time, a tool for exposing the faults and the crimes and the mistakes committed by the regimes as well. That's the kind of the peace building. Unless you talk as a media person about, you know, the corruption, you know, the nepotism, uh, the wrong action is, you know, some authoritarian regime doing it. You are not a good, you know, a media person. So they should be respected, as I say. And then uh, they should be trained. Uh, that, that, that's obvious. Any a media, you know, a person should be trained properly in how they talk, uh, what kind of language they use, 
you know, you can see two people who actually are talking on the same subject. Their purpose is the same, their outcome is the same, but maybe the words they use are so different. Some people may use very aggressive and provocative words, and others may use a very diplomatic and peaceful words, but the outcome and the aims almost the same, social change. Yeah, yeah. So I um, think that can be achieved through the training, yeah. Yeah, sorry for making it a broad question. Um, I think uh, what I wanted to say is that uh, there are uh, people whose identity is very well known on social media um, yeah. and call for, like I can use uh, or rephrase uh, specific words that they use, go out, behave people. Mm. And this, this kind of uh, narrative that they use didn't stop. They still are doing it. And, and I don't see, uh, I'm not an activist, uh, yes. but uh, there are people out there who are listening, but they're also not doing anything like reporting or, or, or bringing to um, in the eye of justice here in, in, in diaspora. Yes. That is what yes. I, I meant actually. Yeah, yeah, as I said, you know, sometimes we need to look uh, beyond the eye, you know. Some people, you know, can't talk, you know, negatively, and I don't mind them to talk to express their feelings as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but anyways, uh, it, it goes back to the human ethics as well, and, you know, the moral responsibility. Uh, everyone should have that kind of moral responsibility, either, you know, from the government side or from the diaspora or anyone thinking about that their words in the media, in the social media, in the traditional media can, you know, affect, and, you know, others either in negative ways or positive ways. If people think in that perspective that their actions, their ideas, their words, their, you know, tweets, their emails can affect others, then they have a, uh, a choice to use. What kind of outcome do you like? Do you like to uh, have a positive impact on others? Yes, and then you do something you know positive. Uh, but some people might not think it that ways, uh, might think in different ways. And then people can interpret what we say in different ways. You could say something in one uh, way, you can see a positive or maybe correcting something in a, constructive ways, but others can also interpret and explain in different ways, and also that we accept as well. Thank you, uh, Dr. Yusuf. Um, this is my final question. Uh, I just read uh, this report from BBC published on 8th of September. Uh, it narrates the stories of Hannah Pranata, uh, also known as Hannah Abubakar online. She's uh, from Somalia. And she's an activist uh, against rape and domestic violence uh, on her Facebook page. And uh, her Facebook page, uh, which has reportedly 130,000 followers, was disabled by Facebook after those against her advocacy work reported here. I quote uh, what she said, uh, I started contacting Facebook in December. I told them everything that this group wants to close my page and sent me threats but no one listened to me. There are people like her, including human rights activists uh, who are getting similar traits uh, of days or silencing their social media accounts. Uh, what would happen if this trend continued uh, and uh, Facebook remained 
disabling their account. I'm sure you are close also to that kind of narratives uh, on social media and the people. I think you, Merga. I think you, Merga. I don't know about Hannah really. I think the first time I actually hear it's now. <laughs> uh, it's a good to know. I need to from now on to read, you know, about her and know, you know, what's going on. Uh, I think generally Facebook and social media are free, the Twitter, but also they have their own policies and their own practices. They should not exclude, you know, others uh, uh, according to their, you know, perspective and opinions and, you know, activities, unless there is a, a clear violation of the rights of others. If someone is actually violates the rights of others clearly, something that can, you know, uh, maybe lead to uh, a violence or something like that, I think they have their own right. But I don't know about this girl, as you explained to her, she's a great woman, she's an activist, a human rights activist, I don't know. Uh, and I think, as you said, you emailed them the Facebook, yeah, so generally Facebook and social media, it's a free, uh, that's what they know. Uh, but also they, they, they actually, uh, you know, they lock down some cases and they stop some, you know, accounts. I don't know exactly that case. Yeah, yeah. So it's a better to, you know, uh, advocate for her if, if you know her, about her, what she's doing. Yeah, but they have their own guidelines in any way. At least the social media is in free society in many ways. So I can't really say anything <laughs> unless everyone is entitled really their opinion to express uh, without fear, without any problem. Yeah. On that positive note, uh, I would like to bring our conversation to an end for today. But I really thank you, Dr. Yusuf, uh, for sharing your thoughts, expertise and insights. I thank you, Marga, really for having me and inviting me as well. It's uh, my, uh, it was my really pleasure to be with you, to talk to you. And your questions were quite very, uh, you know, uh, thought-provoking in a sense, <laughs> which is really, really fantastic. And I wish you all the best to continue. And I would love to, you know, uh, follow up your future you know, a broadcast as well, and we need some such, you know, activism and, you know, a media, you know, people like you, and good luck. Thank you, Dr. Yusuf. Uh, to the Hornets Diaspora podcast audience, um, I love to hear and or read your responses under this podcast's YouTube channel and on uh, Facebook under the Hornets Diaspora. In case uh, you have not listened to the last four episodes, you are invited again to visit the Hornets Diaspora podcast YouTube channel. Until I get back to you with the next episode, I would like to say for now, goodbye.